My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Andy Mitten. Hello, Andy. Hello, thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. You're my uh, first podcast of the week, so you get the box seat with all my enthusiasm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've uh, we've not come here to talk about my psychological makeup, obviously. Um, we'll get there. <laughs> well, that's always the subtext whenever I do these podcasts, <laughs> my psychological makeup. Uh, we've come to talk about your film, The Witch in the Window. Um, before we go into any details, do you want to give us a kind of brief synopsis to what that's about? Sure. Yeah, it's about um, a, a father, a kind of a strange, a father who's um, separated from his wife and estranged from his twelve-year-old son, who takes uh, his son for the summer to rural Vermont, uh, New England, to help fix up a farmhouse uh, that he's flipping, um, and they encounter sort of uh, spirit in the house of the previous owner, who's this sort of inf infamously cruel woman named Lydia, who's left a lot of sort of uh, stories and um, rumors behind her in this small town. And uh, basically what, what begins happening is with every repair they make to the house, they're making this force stronger. Um, and what unfolds is, is uh, it's kind of a mix of, of, a haunted house movie that you might expect. And it's also very much a, a movie about the, the horror of parenting and particularly parenting in, in this day and age. Yes, it is. You, um, you, I, I should tell the listener, I've, uh, I've had the opportunity to watch it and yeah, that's a, it's a lovely, uh, lovely mix that you give us of the, uh, of what you might see as a traditional kind of ghost tale of some description, but coupled with real drama between a parent and child. Yeah, thank you. That's that's the hope. I always try and like please my thirteen-year-old self first to make sure he's going to be happy, and then my you know my adult self who might have some themes in mind to make sure they they get through. It's always a a, a tough balancing act, but uh, a fun one to, to to try. Well, I mean, I remember hearing an interview this year from uh, Jason Blum from I think it was from South by Southwest, and he was he was saying that the way they like to develop movies is you could take the horror out and it'd be a Sundance movie. Ah, yes, that's nice. Yeah, sure. If that makes sense. And I think, I think this is something you could definitely apply to uh, the witch in the window is that, you know, it's definitely gonna, gonna scare you. But if you were to take all that away, you would have a wonderful family, family drama that, 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 that feels very real. So yeah, that's, the, thank you. So let's, let's, let's think about that. And so, so from a, from a starting point of view as, um, I'll tell you what, we won't do that because I'm going to do the other question first. Bear with me uh, while I get my brain in gear. I was enjoying, I was enjoying our segue into the story there, but I'll, sa I'll <laughs> save that for a moment. Um, what I'm asking everyone, as I told you in the preamble, is to um, hark back to a time when you were 13 or maybe 11 or 9 or whenever it was, um, where that early memory or first memory even of consuming horror that gave you the bug that made you the filmmaker and horror fan you are today. I'll go even younger, I guess. I, I, I would, I think, you know, I grew up in the 80s, which uh, it, there was a lot more um, kind of subtle horror in children's material back then, you know, mm -hmm. less sensitive time. And, and so we, uh, what, what strikes me is watching uh, the old Disney animated movie of Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I think it's from the 40s. Mm. Uh, in which you know Ichabod Crane uh, and, and that whole it's 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 a, like a 
a deep score. It's very sort of gothic and grim. Um, and there's something about the Headless Horseman, my memory of the Headless Horseman coming after Ichabod Crane that really shocked me. And I was shocked that it was made for children. I was shocked that I was allowed to see it. Um, and sort of like my relationship with a roller coaster uh, in which I, I went on one, it scared the hell out of me and I, I avoided them for a long time before I eventually fell in love with them. Uh, it, that was my relationship with horror. It scared the hell out of me. I think I was shocked. I stayed away. And then I came to realize that there's this this real fun in being able to explore the dark corners in a safe environment. Um, and it became my love and my, and my obsession from there. I mean, am I because because you know? I, was, I mean, I'm a I'm a child of the '80s too, and it's like <clears throat> it's that idea. It is. I do have memories of sort of scarier stuff that was aimed at children, but it was genuinely scary. That I don't know whether the same thing exists in this day and age at all. No, I think it's fading a little bit. I mean, yeah, we had. You know, the, the, I mean, I even I remember being exposed to things like Edward Gorey at a young age and th things like that, that, that people. Well, I mean, I might not even show my toddler. My, my own boys are are three and a half and two right now. So I've got a ways to go right now. I'm just protecting them from everything. Yeah, because one of mine when I was a kid is um, is the is the t it was a kid's TV series of the John Wyndham novel Chalky. Which was like, as a kid, was terrifying, and, and, and I'm not surprised either, you know. But it's, but it sort of feels like um, that kind of, because because I guess it's always the, the storytelling idea was that it's fairy tales, so therefore we've always told scary fairy tales. But uh, it, it seems to be less and less so now. But, That's uh, right. You don't, you don't get much darker than you know Hansel and Gretel and. Yeah, the grim. Well, the fact they the fact they've made grim tales for adults now as a as a TV <laughs> series speaks volumes for the horror that's in them. Um, yeah. But anyway, let's uh, let's move on to the witch in the window. Um, and as you, the writer director, I wanted to start with um, the sort of kernel of an idea that that sort of became the feature film. So where does it where does it start for you? It you know honestly, it started out of like many independent films do, out of the need to make a movie. <laughs> and okay, like, that's a good uh, start. And, and I. <laughs> I'm interested in um, in having my little twists on the different subgenres of horror, and Haunted House was something I, I was interested in. But I was also just specifically interested in building a movie around the actor Alex Draper, who I'd worked with um, on my first film, Yellow Brick Road. Mm -hmm. um, and I was interested also in going to a place where I felt very safe, and very comfortable. Um, I hadn't directed on my own before this movie. I, I was a co-director, um, and I really, I really didn't want to be going around to a hundred different locations and continuing to um, lift anchor up and, and ruin the flow. It felt like haunted house movie would be a really good place to just kind of to hunker down on location, get that great on location family feel. Mm -hmm. and uh, see what I could do. I also wanted the chance to write the script knowing the house um, because so often when you write, you know, usually when you write a script, you have no idea where you're going to shoot, and then you get to a location, and you see that it's completely different, and the sun's in a different spot, and, and all your plans go out the window. I thought, wouldn't it be cool to know the space before I wrote it? So I called Alex, who lives in Vermont where we shot it, uh, at Middlebury College where I went to school, 
And I said, I, you know, I know there's hundreds of creepy houses in Vermont. If you can find me one near Middlebury, I will take the production to you. And we'll let some of the, the film students at the school work below the line. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we'll, we'll create a cool little production plan out of it. And, you know, the college got on board. They owned this crazy house that everyone on campus was already afraid of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people had died in that house. There were sto- I mean, we didn't do a lot to it. It was yeah, very yeah. scary when we got there. Um, so it, it just sometimes a great and logical production plan is enough to sort of spur it on. Um, and the story of Lydia and what I eventually built into this ghost story comes some, some from, from my youth and, and, but mostly just the things that scare me right now. Um, and I, as a, like as a new parent, uh, in a increasingly sort of terrifying world, uh, just projecting myself forward to how to, to begin to be honest with children and introducing to them, I, I, I thought it would be a really good theme to explore. So I, I went from there. Yeah, the, um, the, the those those real themes that are in amongst your um, your 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 ghost story um, are f- phenomenally prescient. I've got a, a friend of mine whose son has just turned twelve. And I kid you not, I texted him, I think word for word, as best I can remember it, the I wish you were the 12 side of 12, not the 13 side of 12. <laughs> yeah, that line seems to stick with people. That's cool. It's a hell of a speech, early doors, just for setting, you know, for setting the boundaries, setting the, you know, that classic, I mean, the idea of parents letting go, uh, the idea of parents sort of rein them in, all the, which is, because they're still kids at that age, you know, the, the character of Finn is 12, as, as, and it's... It's just a very, very simple but powerful moment, and it but it, it resonated even more because my my friend's been saying to me, "Yeah, he's turned twelve, and it's just gone to shit." <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've got this this other person now, um, and it'll it'll come out of it, you know, as 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 always. But it's uh, yeah, it's um, it's just funny to see it in a film so close to talking about it. Um, <laughs> so it felt very that felt very real. So congrats on that from. Oh yeah. Um, so wait, when with, with with the idea of Lydia then as at the central, sorry, because obviously that's that's the um, that's the ghost, and obviously with any kind of haunting, there's um, one of the challenges for the writer, I guess, is about making sure the rules are clear. I suppose. Yeah, that's a very interesting. You know, I that's important in ghost stories. Yeah, to to set your rules down, um, and you know, the last movie I did. It was very much about uh, about that sort of the polter. I always think of poltergeist. No, no ghost story does it better than poltergeist and sort mm. of just laying out its rules. Those rules are actually based in um, things we all sense some truths in, and it just makes sense. And so their third act can flow. Mm. Um, this is a movie where it, my focus was a little bit more zoomed in, um, and I felt that I could play a little bit of a game with with having a few simple rules that I would follow and then some other things that are more veiled um, and see if because because there's you know that there's there's a lot of scary in the unknown Um, and I I'm always reluctant to tie too much up but you have to tie the important things up that will satisfy that will click Mm. yeah because as an audience you need to know what you're dealing with it but yeah you're right it doesn't mean that then you write out all possibilities of surprise by doing rules Right. Yeah. But I think it especially applies when you're writing a traditionally structured thing where where a ghost is going to have to be like 
battled and overcome in a third act, you, that's already kind of hard because we don't do that in life. <laughs> we don't battle ghosts. Yeah, there's, no, there's no real precedent, is there? <laughs> no, so that's why I think so many ghost stories for me fall apart in the third act because trying to make that battle happen is hard. And, uh, uh, you know, you can edit it out if this is spoilery, but I don't mind saying I don't try and do that in this movie. Mm. I have tried to do that, but I go after my climax and my resolution in a different way that does involve facing, but isn't a battle. Um, and so I felt that my rules didn't, you know, like I, I could um, – I got to play a slightly different game, and I and I enjoyed that. Well, no, I think I think your game changer in terms of you know the, the you know in terms of supernatural stories I've I've sort of uh, I've, I've got experience of watching and what your expectations are is usually and this is in fact this is horror films full stop I think the rules are one person sees who's the believer and one person is the cynic. Now, mm -hmm. while you've got the parent and child, which is obviously there's always a kind of there's a power there's a power shift going on there that means adult knows best, and you do that really well. But when when it comes to the actual apparition, as it were, when both parties see it, you've kind of written yourself into a corner as far as that the, the drama that usually unfolds, which is no, yeah. you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. You know, we had there was no room for that in your in your story. I thought that was a a fantastic move in terms of uh, elevating the, the haunted house story well thank you well it turns out to be more uh more affordable too when you're uh, you know for me what's scary is someone there in the room and yeah. not this not half there not this apparition they're there yeah you can see them so what do you do then yeah it opens up a, a whole lot of new questions and, and uh and challenges too from there but uh like it was a lot of fun so for you what was because uh, because like you've already said, you, you kind of draw out a lot of real issues to do with being 12 years of age, modern society, the world we live in. And, and for Alex Draper's character as dad, that's quite painful what he's having to discover um, because obviously it's about a child growing up. It's not about a child doing anything particularly that wrong. Um, and, and for you, what were, the, what were the storytelling challenges for you getting that flow right as well as obviously taking us towards the third act, which is about what do we do about this thing called Lydia? Um, I think that, you know, I, as a, as a younger writer, I probably fell into a trap a lot of like, I have themes and I have something to say, and I'm going to build this story around, like to, to deliver those themes. And that can come off as, um, you know, pretentious at worst. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think, I think what I really try to do what I try and keep myself very honest with is that the story is driving the story drives the themes and not the other way around. Hmm. Um, and so I think if, you know, if I, I tried to keep things active and I was also trying to play a game where I would never lose track, even amidst the drama of this other story and this connection. And, and so what I tried to do uh, was sprinkle Lydia, especially in the first act, in places you wouldn't expect to see her, in scenes that are dramatic that don't actively have to do with her uh, in, until until you see her. And I was really interested in what would happen, especially in a movie theater, when like 15% of the audience saw something that the other 85 didn't. <laughs> and then like what you know that sort of that whisper that would spread and then other people you know would, would see it and so there's a lot of that there's a lot of hidden things in this movie and and uh 
so I try to keep it fun and, and always moving forward and make sure that, that, like I said, that it's a story first situation and, and trust that that's going to work. Cause that's the bottom, you know, bottom line of what we're doing. Right. Mm. Now, uh, if I can go into sort of what we see on, on screen and stuff, and let's go for it in a wider sense first. As you, you, you as the director, what was your sort of initial conversation with your DLP about the look and feel you wanted for the film? We were immediately on the same page. Justin Kane is my director of photography. We were, um, we had not worked together, but we sort of like what you were saying about that Jason Blum quote uh, uh, about how it should be a sense. Like, why would, if the horror movie's working in this case, why would it? look look any different like we didn't want it to make it grim and bleak and just uh same with the production design actually that that uh it should feel like our world um and we can let it be a little bit more beautiful even so a lot of uh horror movies are shot sort of on on blue palettes basically on 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 a cold set and sometimes you'll put you know, warm light on a cold set. And we mm. inverted it. Justin and I were like, let's do the opposite. For one thing, we have this house full of ambers and, and browns and golds and, and the sunlight. We knew we were going to be shooting a sunlight with movie with daytime scares, which I really like. Mm. Uh, I like subverting that. And so we're going to put cold light on warm sets and, and kind of do the photo negative of what people expect. And, and it seemed to suit the story and also gave us a hope that it would look and feel distinct. And, and I hope this isn't being too super geeky. Um, in the opening scene with the um, where where Alex is basically talking to mum, saying, "Look, we're just going away; it'll be fine," or whatever. You 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 keep Finn with his back to us for for mo almost any time we get a glance of him, and then just before that pre-credit sequence ends, the camera clo goes close upon him, and he looks straight at us. Almost, I feel, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's like. It's it it's a it's a it it gives a good signal because you're kind of going look here's here's a problem look at him <laughs> and then you and then you're going hold on a minute he's a twelve year old kid <laughs> yeah but, but there's something there in that I mean a what did that look like on the page and b what were you trying to tell us there about Finn at that point well this is it, the the first time in my career I've done I've reshot a scene okay. uh, was this scene so really? we shot movie in may and mm -hmm. we and i so i had a different version of that uh opening scene and it it wasn't um it, it wasn't crackling that much it was sort of he goes to pick him up it's a little bit more cordial they have an awkward conversation um and you meet finn in the normal way you might expect and we shot mm -hmm. it in vermont trying to make it look like manhattan and that just wasn't flying uh, i just knew when we left set i knew i'd whiffed <laughs> and it it just turned to be it turned out to be this great blessing in disguise because we had to go get some footage in New York uh, about five months later, and so we're like we're gonna we're gonna get it right. And I got a chance to write that scene knowing everything else I'd done. What would I do differently? So I wrote a fight, and I wrote something that felt dynamic. And mm -hmm. and I knew I knew my characters and my themes so well. Now I I, I just pictured going into his eyes and his perspective. Uh, just in a in a building sort of way at the end of that scene was just the feeling that I wanted. Um, and I also got to write, it was, we shot before the, the U.S. presidential election. We shot, we did the reshoot afterwards. So I got my little shot in. 
You did, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trump, yeah, yeah it's really good. It's a good little exchange. <laughs> so that was, yeah, there's a few little blessings in getting to do that again. And, and, uh, and, and it's a good, it, it was good for me because I, you know, I always think movies have to have to be, especially when you're an auteur and you're, you know, writing, directing and editing as I was and composing. Yeah. I you have to you can't fall in love with any of your work. You, you have to be your own worst critic. You know, I have to be a director who's very skeptical of the writer and then an editor who's very skeptical of the director and be willing to to renovate and, and let the movie change in each stage. So that was my favorite way that it changed. Uh, after principal photography. Well, I'm glad I asked about that question. I'm glad I asked about that bit because it really, it really did. It, well, it, it had me. You, you, you kind of had me then, as far as watching your film goes. You know, it's like you've done your job. You've done a pre-credit sequence that I'm like, oh right, okay. These are these are good, interesting people. Yeah, cool. I'm glad that worked. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's actually the one steady cam shot in the movie too. Well, I, I'm not that technically gifted, so I'm rubbish at that kind of spot, but. Uh, I like the de-emphasis on the kid and then the absolute emphasis. Um, and also, interestingly, I mean, it's going to be like a really crass comparison. I saw The Meg yesterday, and in have you seen The Meg? No, I haven't yet. The eight-year-old kid says a line where it's just, eight-year-olds hear everything. And I thought, in that moment where Finn looks at the camera, it's like, this isn't the first time he's heard his parents bickering. He's just a puppet in their game, in, in a sense. Even though it's not a, a vindictive game, he knows he's got no choice. Whatever's decided, he has to do. And yeah, that's a lot yeah. of information to convey in five minutes. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's true. Um, now, um, you said you, you'd already chose the location, which meant, and you wrote for the location, which meant that obviously when you turned up, you weren't thinking, yeah, what? We can't run down them stairs because they go left, not right, and all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> so, again, if I can draw, and hopefully, tell me if, if to describe it will be too spoilery, so, so you don't have to, but uh, two two specific scenes struck me as being stupidly simple but brilliantly but brilliantly effective at at scaring the shit out of me. Um <laughs> if I say if I said to you the telephone call sat with his yeah. son. Yeah. I mean that's just a bloody mid shot of a father and son, isn't it? Sat on a floor or sat on a sat on a chair, a couple of chairs or whatever it is. But what's happening and what what, what your mind's having to do at that point in the movie is amazing. It's just that lovely mix of just story and looking at people's faces. Yeah, that's it was the linchpin. And we, it's funny, we all knew it when we got the set. Like the whole crew, I remember from day one, everyone knew when we were shooting that scene. Everyone knew the scene number. And it was, you know, we knew that to getting this movie right in a lot of ways meant getting that scene right. Because that, yeah, because that kind of, in terms of whatever rules you've established, and we have like the knowledgeable neighbour who who sort of fills us in on some history and things like that, the very mm-hmm. traditional things. At that point, you've basically said to the audience, "All bets are off, kids." Yeah, and then we sort of rush downhill. So yeah, yeah. So if that's not going to fly, and and you know, it was something that I I was very insistent on lingering on that shot. Uh, there's, a, there's a very long shot in that hmm. scene, and it's it's what's so scary in general about making haunted house movies and movies that are going to slowly burn is you have to edit it, especially. You have to shoot it and edit it with going on a leap of faith that you're holding tension. 
that 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 the fist is clenched in that scene so that you so that you basically you you can dare to hold a shot that long because you're sure that it's excruciating instead of boring um so creating those rhythms and having faith in those rhythms and not cutting away and not filling it with like scary score hmm. to tell you how to feel um is it's a it it always feels like this crazy leap of faith and you don't know you have it so you're finally sitting with an audience <laughs> No, no, well, yeah, it, it, it worked the shit out of me because it was, it was that idea. I mean, also the very fact, and it just felt so true to the character that that, that uh, Simon would hold his shit together. Yet you yeah. knew he was being, you, you didn't, I mean, it's that interesting thing of you, you're an, you're, you're all, the imagination of the audience filling everything, all the gaps in. You knew his stomach was doing cartwheels and turning itself inside out, but you don't need to go, you need someone to do all jazz hands to show us that. That's right. <laughs> Chaz hands. Yes, well put. It is. And uh, so, so again, just, just, just to, 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 uh, to sort of curiosity, on the page, was that ever like intercut between the wife and him? Or was that always just like, we're going to just stay on, on these two? No, it was never intercut. I was always, I'm, I'm pretty like going to different locations and environments um, leaving your your central perspective is always. I, I think I in general I try and do that less mm. than most people. If I really if I'm really committed to the experience of my main character, I can't you know be in Manhattan all of a sudden. I can't hear that. It doesn't help me to hear that. It helps me to hear the distance from the person he loves. Yeah, because I mean, again, it's going to sound like a crash. It might sound like a crash, but it doesn't. It reminded me of the green room. You know where you never see um, Patrick Stewart. And the, yeah, the and the, sure. the camera just stays on the trap people who are trapped. So therefore, everything that's being said is just making things worse for the people that are trapped. So seeing their reaction is all that's important. Anything I could ever do that reminds you of the green room that makes me happy. So I'll leave it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, then. Fair enough. Uh, and then just just again, um, what, what, once that's kicked in, you like you say we go on this quick descent now. Another another bit, and I'll just again, I won't say it in any spoilery way, but but then the scene of banging on the patio window, uh -huh. I'm like, you bastard, because <laughs> it didn't, it, it, you know, like yeah, you know, there's always that 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 thing with with anything to do with supernatural where the the the, the thing that can go wrong is that it kind of it almost goes into double hokum and stuff, and you're like, oh come on, but this this was like you just built on your building blocks and just kept going. And it felt like, even though I couldn't expect it, it was like completely plausible as well as it was surprising. No, well, that's cool to hear. Yeah. For me, it's, it's like, it's all music. It's like, uh, it, it's, I, I really thrive. It's on, um, as, as someone who's a fan of all kinds of horror movies and it you grew up watching slasher movies and things with scare rhythms, mm. I love finding off rhythms. I love finding alternative rhythms. And in this case, it was the long game of like, I'm going to play this slow, steady, slow burn, tense, clenching rhythm through most of the movie. And then... And then from there, you, you, you really don't have a foothold on what to expect for rhythm. So if I throw them, if I throw them at you fast, you know, you're really unprepared. Um, so having, seeing it at all as music is sort of how I look at it. I wish I could do that. I like, I like that notion of, uh, 
of, of, of knowing you're right in a rhythm. I think that, I guess, I guess that, is, is that, is that, does that come, is that born out of experience of your other films that you feel, you can feel that more going into stuff before it gets shot? I think so. Yeah. I think, I think I've learned over time, um, and especially looking back on films, of course, once they're out, you can't change them. Uh, you know, because I've worked in theater as well. I, I, I continue to work in theater and that's a very different beast. I mean, you can, there'll be other productions of that play you can change. Um, but there'll never be another production of that movie. So it, the things that I get wrong haunt me enough that I, I, I'm forced into learning. <laughs> that seems to make sense. Um, Funk, I'm looking. I'm looking at the uh, the poster artwork of the like condensated uh, window with the kind of black, blacky, shadowy face. It's not very with the. Um, I think it's the uh, like the Vermont trees and stuff, isn't it? Um, yeah. Wh- wh- where, where's that? That's a wonderful design. Um, who, who did you get involved for that? Uh, they're dog and pony. Um, I bl- I'm hoping. I hope I'm getting that right. Yeah. Hold on. Let me check. Okay. <laughs> Dog, it's a, it, it's a really effective uh, piece of artwork for your film. Yeah, that's what I think, and I never would have thought of it. And so it was all the more exciting. Yeah, Bridget Jurgens at Dog and Pony Creative, they do a lot of great posters, and mm. we were uh, really excited about this design. It just wasn't at all like, – you know, in my head, it was, it was going to be just kind of the view from the back of her chair – uh, sitting in front of the window, you know, I just went to the easy thing and it takes a great designer to make you completely think of it differently. Uh, so we had a great process with them. I'm glad you liked the poster. So one last question then, um, as it's going to be played at Fright Fest, uh, we'll put the details in the show notes and everything. Um, what, what, now we've obviously talked ourselves around sort of ideas and what you've used, but in terms of, in terms of what the audience might see, and obviously I'll, I'll leave it in your hands to to, to spoil or not spoil to whatever degree you want. Um, mm-hmm. What would be something you're, you, you'd be particularly looking forward to for the Frankfurt audience to experience or, or a specific, specific part of the film you want to see how they react or they can, or they can look forward to? Well, not to go back over what I'm said, what I said, but it, it, it is, it's, it's very, it, it's a, uh, as someone I think put recently, it's sort of, it, it's very rewarding movie for eagle-eyed viewers. Um, So the elements of the movie, what's happening in the foreground, what's happening in the score, um, are are not always going to tell you what's happening on the periphery of the screen. And uh, I'm pretty certain there are a few appearances, uh, supernatural appearances in the first act of the movie that no one has seen yet. Um, And I, as a film nerd, you know, I, I, I just get into that, and I don't see it a lot in movies. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I, for me, it's, it's, uh, it should be a fun experience in a crowd to sort of be whispering to the person next to you, what, you know, what's up in the corner that they might've, they might not have seen in the first moment. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Is this, is this something that it's something I first noticed recently watching hereditary where the sound design on hereditary I actually thought they'd open the door in the cinema. I didn't even know it was the sound from the film. I was like, I was like, who the fuck's disturbing the film? And they were like, oh, it's the film itself. That's fucking weird. Uh, and it's, I think it's really, it, it's sort of the way we as the audience are very manipulated once we're engrossed, aren't we? Yeah, 
and that's a good that, and that's a good that's a good place to be. Why go to the movies if you don't want to be kind of thing? There's no point being this kind of arch person sitting outside a movie going, I know how the strings are pulled. Yeah, no, for me it's it's part of the fun. And uh, and it's part of the fun in particular, I think, of seeing this movie uh, on, on the big screen. But, uh, you know, also just to mention, I, I think, you know, when it gets to the small screen, it, these things will be a lot less prevalent and exciting. What you might see in a window, you're just not going to see it as often uh, and to experience it with a crowd, particularly with Justin's uh, Justin Kane's photography uh, up mm. on a big screen will be, a, well, I think, be a treat. Indeed. Well, look, thank you very much for giving us your time on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's just it's a real pleasure. It's a lot of fun. The BritFlix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of the composers.tv.